Welcome to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Casperson. Good morning, everybody. I'm so excited to be here today with Dr. Sonal Patel. She's a pediatrician, mom of four, and an entrepreneur. She lives in Denver, Colorado, and she started a company called Naya Care, which is created to support moms and families entering life's new chapter. She's a board-certified pediatrician and neonatologist, and I just love, love women physicians who own companies. It's like my total jam. So welcome today. I'm so excited to have you. Oh, thank you so much, and I've been totally stalking you on your podcast, so amazing educational work. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. So tell me why you started Nyacare. I think it always goes back to what you feel is missing in your life and how you can improve it. Everything that when it comes from that position, it elevates your mission. So I have four beautiful boys, but each of my four postpartum journeys were from pleasant to like, oh my God, why am I doing this again? (laughs) And I just realized there was so much more in my own space in postpartum care that I was not educated upon. For example, I think the morbidities of having a baby and the consequences of that, pelvic physical therapy, the importance of that, that knowledge was not presented to me. And now as an aftermath, I'm dealing with all of those things. So going back to the real impetus and the push became with my fourth. And through my fourth, I had suffered a preeclampsia and this baby came earlier. So culturally speaking, in our culture and my mom's OB, it just anticipated that the maternal side will come and help you or you go to the maternal side. So my mom would always come out followed by my mother-in-law two weeks after. So I got four weeks of literally maternal viewpoint and help in the transition part of it. This one, what happened was because of my preeclampsia, he was induced early. He came early. It offsets everyone's schedule, right? Like you're like, it doesn't. So now my mom's scrambling to fix her OB. I mean, her patients, my husband's doing his and all of that stuff. So these kind of accumulating events led to me not only being in charge of my other three and putting them into school and making their hot lunches and all of that lovely jazz and getting them there. But I had to make this pediatric appointment and I came back and obviously I have construction going on in the house, right? Cause why not? Like you're having a baby. So why don't you throw that in there? And my contractor was like, didn't you just have a baby two days ago? I was like, I was like, Oh my God, I did have a baby. And he's the only one who recognized the fact that I might be going through something. And it was, it was that powerful. I was just like, and so that night I was, as me and my husband were on our computer, I was like, dude, I would have just loved it. If I could have just called a pediatrician, they could have just done a quick weight check. I mean, this is my fourth time around. I mean, I literally spent so many hours for a 10 minute appointment. Like if I could have this, it would be phenomenal. We looked and there's nothing like that that existed. There's definitely concierge pediatricians, but concierge pediatricians are more on the expensive side. But there was never a pediatrician that just came home for your postpartum journey and also that was qualified in breastfeeding. Because if you really looked at the postpartum period from a critical standpoint and said, okay, medically speaking, what do we need? Well, we're, we pediatricians are the ones telling you guys to come back in 
when we just had a baby. Usually now, I mean, ACOG rules have changed, but usually ACOG mamas are not being seen until like two to two weeks standard, sometimes three, and then normally six weeks, which is usually what it does. So we're the ones telling you to come back in. And then we don't have time in our medical structure to address everything. And one of the biggest things is breastfeeding. But then we're sending you to lactation. And this is all happening in the first week. (laughs) You know, all of it's happening in the first week. It's like, wait a minute. I know breastfeeding. I know lactation. Oh, my goodness. I'm a pediatrician. (laughs) I got all those checked off. And so that's why Naya Care started and existed. I always say that's my girl's name because I have four boys. Naya means sunshine and renewal. So it was my perspective of how I felt that postpartum care should be changed. Oh, you are, you're literally on the forefront of the future of medicine. And I think, you know, with the, the pandemic and people realizing that you don't actually have to go to a doctor's office for most things anymore, you're just taking the next step. You're just at the forefront of it. Oh, that's so, so, so nice for you to say, especially on days as an entrepreneur where you're like, oh my God, am I doing the right thing? <laughs> yeah, totally. So. And, and, but I think it's part of changing the conversation, right? It's part of the conversation of like changing women's viewpoint of there is equally important after the birth of their child and lugging this kid around town maybe isn't the, the way it has to be done in week one, two, and three. Oh, definitely. And people ask me like, why are you so invested in it because you're not OB, right? You're, and you're not family med. So why are you so invested in the mom? And it's very simple. The mom is a foundation of this baby's development. And there's so much good literature out there that links maternal, mental, and physical health to improved infant and childhood development. So at the end of the day, I'm selfishly doing it for my patient, to be honest, if you want to look at it that way. You know, it's just like, yeah. And then from a woman's perspective, I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, I care about you and what you're going through. <laughs> That's amazing. What was your biggest surprise after giving birth? Like things that nobody told you. And and to just for our listeners, your mom's an OB too, right? So you like had these, these resources, but I'm sure you still had some surprises after giving birth. Oh my God, of course. So my first was a C-section. And my biggest surprise was how downplayed that term is. It literally is abdominal surgery with a baby attached. Like, that's what it is. And, I mean, I had to go through labor, and then I had to have a C-section. So two things are occurring at the same time. Right. You're already exhausted before you have major surgery. Exactly. And then you have something to take care of afterwards instead of just resting. Right. Because um, or in, in terms, if you have abdominal surgery any other time in your life, and particularly if you're a man, I just bring them in, right? Wait, you're weight restricted. Like you're like, you can't like lift five pounds or more. Usually when you have a C-section with the failure to progress, your baby is too big. (laughs) Like, you know, and then boom, you're here's like this big ball of like of wonderfulness that you have to keep alive on top of your healing. So I think that was a real big eye-opener and surprise. And I don't think I, like now I reflect back, but I don't think I gave myself the space or the permission to heal properly from that. Cause nine weeks later, I'm back in doing residency. I had him in residency. I'm back in 80 hours work week. My second, I had, they used forceps. Um, it, that was another long story, but I had a definitely a grade to four, grade three and four tear. And oh my goodness. I mean, I'm still dealing with aftermaths from that. It was 
just so eye-opening. I just remember my donut last air. <laughs> like that was like the worst day of my life. <laughs> I was just like, nobody really explained sitz baths to me and they didn't realize that they were just like epsom salt baths that you just put your perineum in and you i mean it's just amazing how much relief you get from that for my third one was a natural delivery the healing that happened and it was an unintended natural <laughs> i didn't go in there like oh, i'm gonna be brave enough actually it was scheduled for a c-section because of my previous histories and he just decided to come on his own literally thought i was having gas because i never really had <laughs> <laughs> I was like one of those moms. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. That shows up in the ER. Like, I thought I was having jazz. Like, no, you're having a baby. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, then I realized, like, why women opt for a natural delivery. The healing is ridiculously uncomplicated. And I was anticipating all the pain that I had in my previous, and it was nothing. And I was like, oh my God, now I get it. My fourth, the preeclampsia, really, I was like, oh, now I understand why, luckily, I never had to have mag, but the headaches that came with it, whew, that was, that was kind of shocking. In terms of breastfeeding, my first one was a total, like, if you want to define it, it was not, it was a quote-unquote failure, I guess, in the term, like, with the benchmark we have these days, really had to get educated. And then my second, third, and fourth, my fourth, I actually learned that my body only wants to breastfeed until about 10 months. And I like really struggled because there's this huge notion that you have to make it to a year. But my fourth was like, oh, my body just wants to breastfeed till 10 months. My kids have discovered food. And with my fourth, I allowed my body to do what it did. And we were able to successfully continue our breastfeeding relationship until 15 months. But I didn't have that with the other ones because I felt that like, Somebody's told me that I have to make it for a year and I didn't listen to my body to be like, this is what my body wanted to do. And I was trying to do everything else. So I think those are the big kind of shockers. You've had the, you've had the gamut. Dude, I'm so good at this. That's why I can sit there with a mom and be like, you tell me I've got it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for normalizing the conversation for people, because I think in our kind of, we have this very stoic culture of like, just deal with it. It's supposed to be fine. And, you know, there's so much like shame and failure and like shoulds when really we don't really get a good education of what to expect in the first place. Oh, Definitely. Definitely. And like we were, we were talking earlier, the shift really in our culture becomes to the newborn. And what moms are going through is kind of acknowledged with a nod, but you're supposed to move on with it. You're supposed to, like I've written some articles about it, but in one of them, it's like, you're supposed to bounce back. And it seems like, oh yeah, you're supposed to just do that. But that's the reality for a lot of women. I think in every background, like for me, I had to bounce back from, I had to just finish my residency. Now ACGME has allowed that you could get, you don't have to repay back your residency. So kudos to them, but I had to plan that. And I was like, no, I actually need the nine weeks. Like I will make it up at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you're just supposed to bounce back from everything. You're like, I can't bounce back. Like that's the problem. It's major physiologic and anatomy changes, hormones, your pelvis, bleeding. I mean, it's everything. And mm-hmm. we downplay it like it's like picking vegetables out of a garden. Yes, I know. It's like your ancestors just went to the fields and had a baby. But okay, fine, fine. They did. 
But if you look at the Eastern cultures, like the Chinese culture, the South Asian culture, there's this underlying understanding, well, you have your baby in your maternal home. You're not supposed to get out of bed for X amount of days. Like, yeah, fine, I'll have my baby in the field. But the aftermath of it, it's not it's not perfect, but it's actually, it's much improved from how we view the notion of postpartum care. There's a lot of, there's a lot more rest, right? And then people bring you your food. Yes. Like you're yes. not out, you're not making food for fi- the five other people in your house. Yes. Yes. Like I said, my mom's OB and I had four times and being an OB, she was just like, okay, that's your due date. I'm going to plan around coming down and being with you for two weeks. I mean, that's a huge in physician culture especially for a surgeon. That's huge. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. So why do we call it the fourth trimester? For people who don't know what that term means, can you define that for us? Yes. So the fourth trimester term is actually first brought by Dr. Harvey Karp in 2002. So there's actually, there, it, he labeled it that time. And it recognizes that there is a transition, like you mentioned, a physiological anatomical transition that occurs from both moms and babies. And why we have the fourth trimester is actually evolutionary. So my background is anthropology. That was my major. So, and I love everything that, but in order to have bigger brains and be upright at the same time, it's not conducive to have a baby that is ready to go. Like for example, a giraffe who's ready to walk in like a couple of hours, you have to have a smaller pelvis to stand up, but your brain is still developing. So technically, our brains are still developing to 25, but if you see the fusion of the skull, it occurs by a year. And that brain is too big to house in our pelvic to support us upright. So we have to have our babies early. And so the fourth trimester recognizes that from an evolutionary standpoint to achieve all of this, we need to have our babies early, but we need another trimester in order for all those changes to occur. Totally. That's amazing. Tell me about kind of your, when you were growing up and your culture and your culture kind of mixed with your mom, who was an OB, tell me about like how much sex education you got or like how much you were prepared for all the knowledge that we now have. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, I love you, mom. But my, (laughs) so just a little bit of background on that. So we, we migrated to the States when I was nine. And we had a lot of trauma that happened in the travel, and we won't get into that. But I think my mom was coming from a place of how can I protect this child and overprotect this child, but didn't realize that was creating an education that I was just like, wait, what is going on? So my mom worked when in her residency, she worked in a part of Omaha, Nebraska, that was very low income, had really high increased teenage births and everything like that. So she came and my, my talk was, you can't have sex. You cannot get pregnant. <laughs> that was it. That was my talk. Like, yes, it was like, yes, lovingly, like this is what's happening to your body, but you can't, you cannot do that. Then I met my husband and then we did discuss birth control, but it was like, this is Yasmin, just try it. Cause it's like at that time, the least amount of whatever estrogen or proge- I think it was just the progesterone one. That was my only education on birth control. Like we didn't go through all the other different options for that. Then it was when, before I turned, like I think right 26, 27, oh, you should start having babies because you want to know how your system works. 
<laughs> that was the advice you have. You want to know how your system works, so you should have a baby. <laughs> you should have your baby. So if there's any issues, we like, can solve you should go them. buy it. You should go build a car so you understand like how your car works. Just go build one. <laughs> and then I'm actually going through premenopausal stuff, and I had estrogen levels that were just skyrocketing, and I had to get evaluated for ovarian cancer. And my beautiful mom comes back to me and says, "Hey, listen." I'm glad you don't have ovarian cancer, but I went through menopause at 45 and my jaw dropped. Like, I'm going to be 45 next year. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so you're telling me this is perimenopausal that I'm going through? Thanks, but I thanks, mom. <laughs> right. Uh. So that's, that's it. And I think even with our culture, going back to even the postpartum period, yes, there is this understanding. Like I said, it was. it's not, it's not, perfect. There is this understanding of you do need the rest, but we do a terrible job in our culture to address the mental health part of it as well. Absolutely. And, and especially in our culture, like even, you know, this women are really smart. We're very, very smart. And so even if somebody like an OB that you kind of know sits you down six weeks after and they're like, well, you know how you're doing, you're like, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, like we're still kind of like, well, not me, not me. Yes. And yeah. that's actually perpetuated in our, in our South Asian culture. Like we just don't talk about it. We mm -hmm. don't talk about the difficulties. We we're just supposed to even be more docile and just kind of deal with it. Yeah. Hindsight, you know, hindsight's always better. But I remember with my first kid, I was like building a practice. We were building, like I was in the middle of like this massive big career thing. And I just remember like sitting in the bathroom and like trying to catch my breath. And now looking back at it, I was like, ah, Perhaps postpartum anxiety. Perhaps that's what oh, yes. was, that was going on, you know. But when you're in yes. it, you're like, I don't know, maybe I'm just tired. <laughs> so, exactly. Well, I had postpartum depression with my second and then postpartum anxiety with my third because I was anxious thinking that I was going to get postpartum depression, you know, like this convoluted yep. way the women think. Yep. And when I was having my depression, I'm handed a pamphlet. And like, you're like, you're not going to, you're in a mindset. You're not going to call like, wait a minute. Am I going to take care of 10 minutes of taking care of my child or 10 minutes of like actually calling someone and actually addressing my needs? You're not going to call. Huh. So I always say go beyond the pamphlet. Like I, that's a great way to start the resource, but you, it's more so than if a pediatrician or an OB or somebody in authority comes to you and be like, listen, I think you have this. You need to call this number and I will follow up with you tomorrow. Yeah, that's huge. That will put the vision be like, oh, you actually care about me. And that's what I get. I get a lot of those responses. I'm like, oh, you actually care about me, the mom. And that's what your company does. It actually takes the time to spend the time with the mom and to like see what's going on in the house. Yes. So we have uh, we've developed a roadmap to postpartum care. And what it starts with is the home visits from myself to recognize and give the breastfeeding and newborn education we moms wanted at that time and period, we're ready for it. And then at one month we do screen all moms, but I'm actually screening them because as you said, I'm in the home anyways, and they're more forthcoming and talking to me about what's going on. But beyond that, there's a dedicated counselor that reaches out to every single one of our moms around the five to six weeks mark. And then you're going to love this. We actually have a pelvic physical therapist who offers their services as well to every single mom. And so Amazing. this is our roadmap, roadmap to postpartum care. If you're in Denver, 
get to know this company, Naya Care. It's amazing. I mean, I think I see, you know, people who listen to this podcast tend to, they can be of the older generation too. Like they have daughters who are going through this. They might have granddaughters that are going through this. For somebody who, let's say they're the, the older mom, they're the mom or the grandma of the person having the baby. And let's say they don't live in Denver. Would you advocate like a doula or, you know, a, a home nursing person? What can they do to be like, I'm getting this resource for you because I know you need it? First of all, the recognition of it is so important. I think even older moms, grandmas and older moms, like I, I always say that with pelvic physical therapy, you know, you have this notion, this old notion that, you know, when I sneeze or when I cough, I leak and that's supposed to be normal. Well, no, no, that's actually abnormal and that's pathologic. Let's just kind of put it that way. So just the recognition of the fact that reflecting on your own personal journey as a grandma or an older woman say, hey, listen, I had all these issues. Yes, that's great. I'm going to bring you food and stuff, but I think you need this is starting to change the conversation and the narrative around postpartum care. It's validating it amongst us women that we need this care. And then yeah. on top of that, doulas are an amazing resource for women, particularly in the um, settings where your family can't be there to help and support you. Doulas are a wonderful start. And then also really do look for other physicians that are trying to do the same type of model. There are about 100 physicians all around the country. And just kind of search and do a little digging because I bet you you could find one there. Or just reach out to me and I'll be like, because I know like literally half of them and what they do and where they are at. So that's amazing. I think to empower the older generation, right? Because I think the older generation sometimes has the viewpoint of like, well, this is how I went through it. So that must be how it is. Instead of changing the thinking to this was my experience. I wonder if I can make it different for the next generation. Right. Like right. so much more empowering. And you don't have to think like, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to perpetuate the way it's always been. You can actually be a source of change. Oh my God, definitely. And that's like I say, we have to start with our own gender, <laughs> like, because we experienced it, right? Like, no, no, the man perspective, like my husband's perspective, he understood what I was going through on like a uh, audience level in the sense that he's there, he's, he's seeing me crying and you've seen that, but he's not really feeling the pain that I'm going through. But yeah. another woman who's had a grade three and a four, she totally understands why I cried when my donut fell apart. You know, she's like, "Oh, I get it." <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. So yes. Um, let's talk about sex in the post in the fourth trimester. So this is how I approach it. I always say to my families that the foundation of what you've built has come with your relationship, like mom and dad's relationship or a husband, and husband relationship or women and women, whatever your relationship, that's where you decided as a couple to go on this venture of let's start a family. So from the get go, we need to start respecting that and how we do it. Simple things about just acknowledging that actual relationship. So it starts off with, yes, the first two weeks, definitely everyone's in a whirlwind. I call it survival mode. That's you guys are just surviving. But at the two week mark, two to three weeks, Mars, the women are starting to kind of like all the fluids are coming off. Things are kind of getting a little bit better. I was like, go on a coffee date because a coffee date is 15 minutes. It doesn't seem like this immense thing that you have to get ready for. You can just go in your pajamas and with COVID world, you just go through the drive through park somewhere, get some music 
And then from a woman's mindset, I just remember first time leaving my child. I carried this child for 10 months and you're expecting me to leave for a whole dinner at night. Like there's so much wrong with that, but I can do a coffee date for 15 minutes. I could give myself permission to just go out there and breathe. Okay. And then I can entrust my mom or my grand or my whoever is there helping me out. Or I could even instill a friend if I feel comfortable, just, just watch my child for 15 minutes. Right. So that's one start. Then it's like, okay, let's start re-recognizing the relationship that has brought you here. Let's restart recognizing that. Then it's like, okay, then in a couple more weeks, let's do a lunch date. And then, then I always tell dads and partners and anyone who's, on, who's not going through it, it's like, do not ever tell them, like, I planned a dinner for you. Because I just remember, I was like, oh my God, shit, I got it. Get ready. Oh, sorry. I just cursed on your podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast about sex. If they can't handle a swear word every once in a while, they, they're in the wrong podcast. <laughs> no, but it was just so like, it's like this thing you have to do, right? Like you have to get ready. You want to look nice and nothing's really fitting. So you feel like a blob. And then for me, even always in the evenings, I had, you know, all the soreness would come back and from any of my deliveries, even my natural deliveries, that's soreness because you're active all day. I, I spent them sitting there for an hour or two and trying to enjoy a company and food. I mean, that's, I'm not in the mind space to do that, but I could do the coffee date and the lunch date. And then the actual talk about actually having the physicality of sex. Cause, but now to say, like, I love your podcast because you talk about building the intimacy and how the mind actually plays in the role of having it. Well, now you've kind of gradually allowed your mind to readjust to the fact that, oh, wait a minute, I, had a, I have a relationship. Because you've given your mind the permission, little, little permissions to be like, yes, I'm, I'm in survival mode. I'm struggling with this. I have other three kids. But, oh, yeah, I still love my partner. And I still want to cherish that. So it's not this just like, go have sex. <laughs> it's like, let's kind of start with the mind. Let's start with where you are physically. And let's kind of train your mind to be ready to accept the actual physicality of the lovemaking. Oh, beautiful. Thanks. And I always say get cleared by your OB first because they know they are the best at this. And then really have open conversations with your partner. I mean, I mean, I went through a grade three and grade four. We had a very open dialogue for your listeners who don't know what a grade three and four is literally like it's from your perineum all the way back to your rectum. My half of my rectum where I poop was stitched up and I'm still having issues with that. You know? Yeah. I think, I, I don't know if my husband would like this, but I think one of the beautiful things he did was he actually kissed my C-section scar and it made me feel like, Oh, that's so sweet. It is so sweet. Oh. It's so sweet. For a partner and- to acknowledge what a body goes through. And, and these are literally humans that have no idea. They don't have the, they don't have babies, right? And, but for them to be able to emphasize, be empathic and to be like, I understand a massive change just happened instead of like, oh, I hear that women just kind of bounce back, you know, like for them to be part of understanding what we go through is huge in acceptance and love and intimacy. It's amazing. Right. I mean, like we talk about the morbidities. I mean, I, I really honestly think my IC, my interstitial cystitis was based on the aftermath that I've gone through. And even in that journey to understand the sex relationship 
with my husband and how to transverse that when you literally are in chronic bladder pain, <laughs> like especially in the beginning. Now I've come, I literally have come such a long way from it, but in the beginning to be like every part of it. And that's, that's one of the reasons I left the NICU too, because it's the stress of it that was causing me issues as well. But I mean, it was a hard, it's, it was a really hard journey mentally because now you're leaving a career that you kind of built for yourself. And there's other factors that came into it as well. And then you're been diagnosed with a chronic kind of disease where there's not a pill that cures things. And then you are trying to still build relationships and keep relationships in a time of life where, so for me, it was like in our late twenties and thirties, we had our kids and now we want to enjoy each other for the fact that not to be like, Oh, we're going to get scared. We're just kind of enjoy each other again. And kind of we meet. And all of a sudden you're thrown a disease where sometimes even the act of that is putting you into spasms for hours. And I'm like, I mean, the best way I describe it is like a UTI for like 10, 12 hours and just constant, like every 10, 20 minutes. And a a lot of women, you know, you don't want to do things that flare any pelvic pain, right? Mm -hmm. It's a natural, we have human bodies and we want to avoid pain. That's just how it works. And to keep the intimacy there to redefine what intimacy means, right? And to say like, these positions aren't going to work for me. This is what does work for me. And to be able to navigate that. Otherwise, I think some couples literally stop being intimate because they haven't kind of, I always say, expand your view of what sex is, right? Because there's just some some positions that are off limits, whether it's interstitial cystitis, or you've just had pelvic surgery, or you just had a baby, or you have menopause changes, all of that is if we can expand, instead of saying it's all gone. Exactly. Totally. Um, Somebody was asking me a question the other day, we should definitely bring this up in the fourth trimester, breastfeeding, prolactin, and what it does to sex drives and dry vaginas, and your interest in sex. So you're okay. So evolutionary wise, look at your purpose after you've had this baby is to provide nutrition for this child. Actually, the WHO came out a couple of years ago that with birth spacing and they had recommended, I want to say at minimum 18 months and as much as two years. And literally evolutionary wise, that is a time period where you're supposed to take care of a newborn, and then your drive is supposed to be going to go get another child. You know, like think about it that way. So with prolactin, yes, breastfeeding goes down. So this is my little soapbox on breastfeeding. I don't understand why we've created breastfeeding as a staple of motherhood. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I'm like, who did this and why are they doing it? Because what happens is when your period comes, women freak out because their breast supply goes down. And then they're like, oh, I don't want my period to come. And I'm going to try to do, and it's so devastating. And again, it's going back to your mind and you'd be like, oh my God, I'm emotionally dealing with all the ways that I failed my newborn. There's no mind space for you to actually be intimate. And so prolactin does have these effects on your mind, but evolutionary wise, it's supposed to have these effects on your mind. So let's just kind of recognize that and be okay with it to be like, okay, but now how do I have this conversation moving forward? Yeah. And I think... It's such a good conversation to have for people to realize like prolactin is a hormone that creates milk and it literally shuts down desire to have sex. Like yes. It's literally anti-dopamine. Yes. And, and that's what it does. And it also prolactin is very anti-estrogen, right? So you have a very dry, almost postmenopausal vulva and vagina because your brain is saying, feed this human 
don't make another human right now. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. just in normalizing the conversation of like, you don't have a sex drive after you had a baby. Well, first of all, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're recovering from possibly surgery. You know, all that is, that's not enough. You have prolactin surging through your body to help support milk. I mean, and then, so we can understand it as women because we're going through it, right? What I find is very empowering is to tell men that because they're such objective human beings that if you say there's a science behind this, this is why this is happening. These are the reasons why they're happening. Like, Oh, I get it. So for example, with postpartum depression and the blues and all of that stuff, just simply pointing out that, do you know, progesterone is eight times higher when you're pregnant to support that pregnancy. And then I always pose a question. It's like, do you know when it falls to like back to normal and baseline? And they're like, when I go literally 24 after birth, 24 hours after birth the shock and awe that they get. It's like, oh, so you're up here and you're all the way down here. Now I get why you're feeling what you're feeling. Yeah, totally. And if they still don't get it, then talk to them about like, let's pretend the male, let's take the, the pretend the male equivalent's testosterone. And it would be literally living with your testosterone. And then 24 hours later, your testicles were removed. Exactly. And do you think you're gonna have some mood swings after that? Like, (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. You know, give them give them a concept that they can they can wrap their head around because again, they don't have our bodies, right? Yes. But understanding like, oh, and they and then they can take it less personally too. Because I think with the intimacy thing, first of all, women feel like I'm giving my all and now I'm giving again to be intimate with somebody. And it's just one other thing to prevent you from being asleep and getting the rest you need and from feeling like you haven't just given everything. You're drained. And when sex is just one more thing that you're giving, I'm not surprised at all that people don't want to be intimate. Instead of viewing it as, can we just lay together, maybe be naked, spend some time together? Maybe a massage would feel really good because my body's tired. Like, again, reframing what sex and intimacy is so that it's not just kind of, quote, all gone and is so devastating to the relationship. I think in one of your podcasts, you also mentioned to retime it. Like, why can't you have it in the morning or four, like four o'clock in the or, you know, like, why is it that you have to have it at night? Yeah. It's just like, you've given your all all day long and then you have to exercise before bed. Okay. <laughs> You're like, ah, switch it up. Right. Uh, well, this has been awesome. Tell me about the book that's on the way. Yes. Oh my God. Thank you. So I wrote this book just to get, I think it was more of an exploration of what I went through. And a lot of people do ask me how I developed Naya care. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to write it down. But it turned into such an amazing, I don't know, just an adventure. Cause I love writing and I feel like, like you were mentioning like creativity and stuff. So long story short, the title of the book is going to be the doctor in her black bag. Cause I go with my black bag and it's really kind of looking at postpartum care in ways that is historical. Cause I love medical history. Just want to see where, how we got here, where we are and why we're discussing why our medical system is not supporting our postpartum journeys. Like how did we even get here? And then it obviously talks about my journeys as well. So it was very cathartic to write all that down. And then lastly, in the pandemic, our company really did do well because people started seeking out ways to not go to the pediatrician's office, you know, like, like right when the start of it, it was, nobody knew exactly what was going on. So I have nine moms and one dad who had a baby or had major medical issues happen to their baby during the right when the pandemic hit. 
And then they use my postpartum care model. So they come on and share their stories as well. So their stories are going to be interspersed in the book as well, too. Oh, that's awesome. And when's the book going to come out approximately? Oh, my goodness. Hopefully Mother's Day. <laughs> so don't ah! hold me to it, but hopefully Mother's Day. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes. So tell, tell our listeners where they can find you on the Internet. Great. So my website is nayacare.org. That's N-A-Y-A-C-A-R-E.org. I'm on Instagram, nayacare, and then on Facebook, nayacare Colorado. And anyone who's on the clubhouse, we actually do, and we're getting better at it, but we do have a fourth trimester MD docs house or room that we will start doing a better job about being more consistent on there just to have conversations around this particular topic. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us and changing what medicine and postpartum care for women look like. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for your podcast. Such wonderful education. Absolutely. I love it. All right. Have a good day. You too.